I want to begin this evening by letting you know that tonight almost didn't happen. We, uh, we went to Culver's for lunch after church, and uh, I think half the church was there. And there was more than one request to just maybe sing How Great Thou Art and preach my sermon there at Culver's and call it a day. So I, I fought it off, and I said, no, you can come back too. Um, a few months ago, in July, Pastor Matt asked me to do a Sunday night, and uh, what I did was I stood here before you, very similar like this, and gave you a few passages, what I called a couple back pocket verses that you could keep uh, on hand, so to speak, to minister to those who are hurting and to those who are suffering. And I desire to do the same thing this evening. Those two passages were Psalm 42 and 1 Corinthians 10.13. If you care to go and re-watch those if you missed it, it was July 25th. You can look it up on our uh, Vimeo site, our Vimeo website, and find those. Tonight, I would like you to go to Matthew chapter 11. We're going to look at verses 28 through 30. And as I was sitting, as you're turning there, as I was sitting this morning, listening to Pastor Matt preach on Colossians 1 and that, that great creed and confession, and as he talked about who Christ was, who Christ is, and I was thinking also at the same time about Matthew chapter 11, and he talked about this, this amazing confession about who Christ is, tonight, if I could connect it to who Christ is from this morning, I want us to see in Matthew chapter 11 what the heart of Christ is, who he is this morning, what he does tonight, what he does tonight. Out of all of the things that can be said or have been said in the Gospels, all of the places where Jesus is on display and all of the things that are said about him, his birth, foreshadowing of his death, his miracles. He teaches us how to pray. He models for us how to love and how to serve. This place in Matthew, when you combine all the Gospels together, is one of the loudest passages that speak to the very heart and nature and character of who our Savior is. Perhaps, one author said, in one, only in one place, perhaps the most wonderful words ever uttered by human lips, do we hear Jesus open up his very heart to us. Dane Ortland wrote that in Gentle and Lowly. If you have not had a chance to read that, I would encourage you to do so. Um, I will quote him a couple times this evening. Uh, and if you'd be interested in one of those books, I may have one or two. The context sets up for us a little bit in verses 25 through 27. In what is likely a public prayer by Jesus, Jesus declares this. So there's an essence of him standing there in the moment and saying, Oh Lord, look at this disbelief, which is what he just talked about in the preceding pericope in the preceding paragraph, in verse 25 through 27, Jesus responds to this proud disbelief that he's encountering across the countryside in the religious elite. And he's speaking, he's now seen speaking to his father about this. What has been going on during this time is the polarization 
of Jesus. you got to choose sides. And this seems to be, from the text, intended by God the Father. And in these two verses, verse 25 through 27, Jesus again speaks of his relationship to the Father, his unique relationship with his Father. But he also underlines, at the same time he speaks of this, this relationship, he underlines for us God's sovereignty as the master of the universe. And we see in these two kind of context-setting verses the Father's divine sovereignty and salvation, as well as man's responsibility, that age-old tension. How do we get saved? From a sovereign God or a man who chooses? And here in this text, again, we see this we see this held in, in perfect balance with each other. Things that seem like they contradict, but, but really don't. And, and Jesus offers words of salvation theology here. And they are centered on coming only to the Father through the Son. And only in humility. That sets up the context for verses 28 through 30, which have encouraged all of us, at one point or another, probably, in our Christian walk. So, let's dive in. How can you use this text? I want you to be thinking, when I encounter someone who just had that day, and I can see it on their face. You arrive Sunday morning, and you see your friend, and they don't look like your friend. Something's different. Something is weighing on them. Something's hurt. What are you going to say? Oftentimes, inside our heads, we're going, I don't know what to say. I desire tonight to give you another couple verses that you can keep in your back pocket, so to speak, when you need to encourage and speak truth to your own heart, when feelings are battling the truth that you know. And it's hard to believe truth because of the feelings you have. Here's verses you can speak to your own heart. But as we look at our responsibility to sharpen each other, to disciple one another, here's another set of verses for which we can do this from. So the request comes from Jesus. The command, really, come to me. You see, the coming to Christ is not over after one comes to Christ for salvation. And I think this passage includes both unbelievers and a call to faith as well as the continuing call to find what Christ is offering. This is an invitation for believers, but the invitation doesn't stop there for us. It extends to believers for the continued rest and comfort. Why? Because this is who Christ is. This is his very heart. We speak sometimes of his nature and his deity, and it's it's glorious and amazing. Sometimes we've, we maybe quickly skim over the very heart of Jesus to those who are hurting, those who are searching, those who are struggling. And Jesus says, come to me. This is who I am. This is what I have always been offering to the weary. The offer is continued to us because it's rooted in his character. 
And it reminded me of the character of God the Father that is on display in Isaiah chapter 42. You can read that sometime maybe this week. It's one of my favorite passages to sit down with, with my friends and uh, encourage them with. It's another. Maybe we'll do that, that set of verses a, a different time. But Jesus challenges Israel real quick to forsake idolatry. And he says, my glory I will not give to another in the middle of Isaiah 42. And then he gets down to the end and he says, now here's what I'm going to do for you. I'm going to take your rough places and I'm going to turn them into level ground. I'm going to take the darkness that you walk in and I am going to bring you to light. And then my favorite phrase in Isaiah 42 says this, these are the things I do. And I hear Jesus echoing that same sentiment. This is what I do. This is who I am. And because of who I am, this is what I offer. This is what I command. This is what I request out of you. And so Jesus invites us to find rest. Salvation rest, for sure, but also rest from all of our efforts and our failures. Rest from trying to please God by our own efforts. Rest in his nature and to find rest in our identity as a child of God. God says, that's my heart. And when you're struggling and when you're weary and when you're rubbing shoulders with those in your own household who are walking that path of difficulty and struggle and weariness for whatever the reason might be, Jesus says, come to me. Come to me. In March of 1767, pastor and hymn writer John Newton wrote a letter to a friend. Listen to what he said. Are you not amazed sometimes that you should have so much as a hope that poor and needy as you are, the Lord thinks of you? If I was to rephrase that, I'd say, does that blow your mind? That God thinks of you. That his heart is for you. John Newton goes on, But let not all you feel discourage you. For if our physician is almighty, our disease cannot be desperate. And if he casts none out that come to him, why should you fear? Why should you be weary? Or as the psalmist said, Why are you downcast, O my soul? John Newton finishes in this letter with, Our sins are many, but his mercies are more. Our sins are great, but his righteousness is greater. We are weak, but he is power. Jesus' heart is for us to come to him. So now I want you to think of all the avenues of escape that people use today to get away from their problems. You ever been to one of those escape rooms? We got one for Christmas. We still got to use, by the way. That's a lot of fun. You got to figure out, how do I escape? How am I going to get out of here? Think of in real life. All the ways that people try to escape their problems in the world. All their weariness, all their hurt. Think of how some of those things even overlap into how Christians, us, seek to escape our weariness and our struggles and our hurt. 
What do you run to instead of Christ? I could have said, what do you run to? And once again, we'd all know the Sunday school answer to give. But what is your heart tempted to run to? Are you you familiar enough with the deceptions of your heart to know, boy, I got to be careful because that's what's calling me to come. And sometimes I go. When Jesus is saying, come to me. When we're helping others through their burdens, be a good friend. Speak the truth in love when you see the directions that people are heading that don't fit, come to me. That's our job. That's our responsibility in discipling one another. Speak the truth to your own heart when your heart wants to run. Speak the truth to your feelings that say, no, heart, come to Christ. Run to Christ. All who labor, come to me. Now he says, all who labor and are heavy laden. What is the requirement for coming? Who qualifies for this fellowship with Christ? The weary. Weariness here is the the image of a person that is exhausted from their work. Here, I think we're we're talking about, uh, along with being burdened, a a person who who is weighed down with heavy loads. But in the context here, I think Jesus is talking, he's calling disciples. There's an evangelistic call here. There's a salvation call for those who are weary from finding truth on their own. No doubt there's also already disciples with him. He's also calling them to say, what are you weary from? Are you weary from trying to find rest and peace and comfort and identity, and fulfillment, and happiness, and joy. Where are you trying to find that? There's a weariness that comes from chasing those things. Jesus says the requirement is to be weary, and to be burdened, overwhelmed, strung out on life, stressed. All the other words that we use that fit this concept. Jesus says that's the requirement to come and see and find and feel my heart towards you. You don't have to have it all together to come. You don't have to somehow perfect yourself before coming in order to be received. There's no payment that is required to coming before coming. Dane Ortland again says from Gentle and Lowly, come in out of the storm. Come out of the storms of your own sin. Come in out of your own efforts to change. Come in out of the storms of being sinned against or out of the storms of living in a sinful world. There's no promise that the storm stops here. But Jesus has come. And when we come, it's like coming in out of the storm. The storm still rages, but I'm safe. I'm protected. I have a roof over my head. Though the tornado sirens blow, I'm in my basement huddled in the bathtub. (laughs) I'm in out of the storm. Doesn't remove the storm. 
but it brings, it brings protection. It brings comfort. And so Jesus says the requirement is those who are weary, those who are burdened. And he says, don't, don't un- attempt to unburden yourself before you come. Just come. Burdens, weariness, and all. Come to the heart of Jesus. Speak to him. Pour out these, weary, these, these wearisome situations, these circumstances, these burdens. Pour them out and find the heart of Jesus. Jesus, I think, actually calls you to bring your burdens. So, as you face the storms of life, and as we run into each other facing the storms of life, in in your helping of those who you love and who you care for, who fall into these two categories, what are you bringing them to? I challenged us all a second ago. What are we running to? But now, in ways of discipleship, those in your own home, what are you bringing them to? Are you reinforcing what they want to hear? Are you saying what you know will make them feel good? Are you bringing them to Christ and His Word? Are you bringing them to the heart of Jesus? And there's, there's a really helpful way to do that. And if we're not careful, there can be a really unhelpful way to do that. We can give all the texts on the sovereignty of God. And we can do it very coldly. We can say things like, well, it'll all be better when Jesus comes back. True. That's hard to hear sometimes. So what are you bringing those that are hurting to? Don't do it without acknowledging your friend's hurt, their grief, their sorrow, their hardship. Weep with those who weep. And bring them to the heart of Christ as we see this request from Jesus. This is also a call for evangelism on our part. This is the message that we have to the world. Come to Christ. All you who are weary from searching for the truth, all you who are trying to find peace, we can very very realistically tell unbelievers, I know, I was there. I still tend to search for something outside of Christ. Come to Christ. This is a call for us to evangelize, to bring them to Christ, not some intellectual ascent but a humble ascent through their burdens to a welcoming Savior. So come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. What you're looking for in weariness and the burdens, Jesus says, that's attainable. That's possible. I know where you can find it if you look in the right direction. And this is what we're called to bring other people to, to to the very heart of Jesus. This is an invitation to become his disciple, to find rest in him that, that cannot be found in the legal laws of the Pharisees. Jesus is addressing the man created culture of religion. And he's saying, that list of checkboxes? That's not peaceful. That's not rest. Come to me. Find that in me. Jesus Jesus promises spiritual rest to everyone who comes to him. Uh, R. Kent Hughes, pastor and and, uh, 
uh, commentator said, he who has the Son has rest. I thought that was a neat way of, of talking about this passage. We hear that, that phrase, phraseology used in a different way, but here our Kent Hughes says, he who has the Son has rest. Rest from what? I will give you rest. Rest from what? From, from earning one's salvation, from trying to earn the approval of God by what we do. Rest from the cares and burdens that can rob us of peace and joy. We're either there, we're just there, or we're almost there. Right on the cusp of, of what can rob us from peace and joy. If, if you're here and you face ongoing physical difficulties and ailments, this is not a promise that that goes away. And as hard as that is, this is a promise that you can find rest even in the midst of that particular storm. Remember, he who has the Son has rest. So let me ask you, are you at rest today, tonight, right now? Well, yeah. I mean, your voice is kind of lulling me to sleep and I'm sitting here in this nice pew. Yes, I'm at rest. Are you at rest? Do you have peace when life throws you a curveball or a knuckleball or a fastball? Do you still have rest? Do you still have joy in who Christ is? Are you at rest in Christ when all around you is unrest? If you watch the news, we all know how much unrest there is in the world. But do we as believers who have come to this Savior and we have found this heart, do we have rest when all around us is unrest? What a message to the world. How are you so peaceful? Let me tell you. Let me tell you where you can find peace. Draw your struggling family members. Draw your church members into this real and attainable rest. Jesus says, I will give you rest. Now he says, take my yoke. This is, this is, nothing, this is nothing high and fancy that we do walking through this text tonight. This is something you can do with your friends and your loved ones in your home. This is something you can do with your kids. You can walk them through this text. They don't have to be teenagers. They don't have to be college age. You can walk your young people through this text and say, look who Jesus is. And begin now to form a path that they walk when they're weary. Because their weariness is coming. And they don't even know it. Establish the patterns Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, Jesus says. How do we find this rest? The yoke here, as, as is probably usually referenced or usually emphasized the most, was something that a team of animals were yoked together, were connected together for work. But in broader rabbinical teaching, this also carried with it yoking yourself to a teacher coming under the submission and the teaching of that teacher and obeying him and following him. 
So I think both aspects are in play if if I'm to lean one way or the other as far as emphasizing because of Jesus' words and learn from me, I'm probably leaning towards the latter. The broader rabbinical teaching used the word yoke of coming under a teacher and Jesus is saying, come under me. And we say, well, I, I am under you, Christ. But sometimes even in being his disciple, we're still running other places for peace and comfort. We're, we're safely within the fenced area of God's will, and yet, as, as Pastor Paul Tripp says, sometimes we have fence marks on our face from looking out beyond God's boundaries and thinking, the best is out there. My peace is out there. My joy is out there. And Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. Submit to me. Obey me. Learn from me. Find rest in doing my will. Find rest in responding to life the way I responded to life. I think that's probably, for me, the heavy emphasis of what he's talking about when he says, yoke, take my yoke upon you. Team up with me to find what you are looking for. Jesus doesn't promise escape from reality. But he promises the right equipment, if you will, to deal with the weariness and the burdens of life. Why can we come to him with our, with our weary souls? Why, why do we have the ability to learn from him, to take, his, to take his yoke upon us? Here it is now. It's because of who I am, Jesus says. I am gentle and I am lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. This now is the motivation for us responding to the call to come. This now is the reason why we can come with our burdens and why we can find rest. This is what we learn from Christ. When you walk, you're hurting friends and family members through this text. Lead them to this. Your Savior is gentle. He is not harsh. He is not quick to point out your faults and your blame and to throw it back in your face. That's not who he is. That is not his heart. He is not easily angered. He's not quick to point fingers. But he is calling with open arms to come. He's gentle. He's also lowly. Your Savior is gentle. Your Savior is lowly. And there is some overlap between these terms, but but typically this word lowly describes the the humility in contrast to an arrogance. But here I I think there's a a little nuanced idea of what he's saying in lowly. The word is also used in places to talk about those who are lowly in their social status or uh, lowly in being destitute, in who they are. They may be poor. They may not have possessions. I think through the use of this term, I think we're talking about being humble. Jesus is talking about being humble to meet with us. Where Paul says, associate with the lowly, and he uses the same word. Jesus is saying, I'm not so high and lifted up that I won't meet with you. I won't meet you where you're at. He is accessible. 
He is gentle and he is lowly. And as you walk your hurting heart or your loved one's hurting heart through this text, communicate that your Savior is gentle. Communicate that your Savior is accessible. Again, from gentle and lowly. For all of his resplendent glory and dazzling holiness, from all of his supreme uniqueness and his otherness, no one in human history has ever been more approachable than Jesus Christ. That's comfort to our souls. That's where we find rest for a weary soul. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Following Jesus, being his disciple, living in obedience, living in submission to him is the easier path than running and searching for your peace in the next big thing, as we say today. The rest offered is a rest for your souls, not for your bodies. I'm sorry, parents. It's not a rest for your body and the craziness of life. It's a rest for our souls. The rest Jesus offers his disciples enables them to overcome a certain measure of fear, anxiety, uncertainty, meaningless. That is all overcome in the joy and peace of God's very presence in Jesus Christ. The path over your weariness and your anxiety, your desire to escape. This is Psalm 55. Remember David said, oh, if I had wings like a dove, I would fly so far from this problem right now. I read that and I go, oh man, I get that, David. I get that. That's the scream of my heart so many times. Where can I just go to get out of this? And so I don't think that's a positive statement that David's saying in Psalm 55. At the end of the psalm, he says, but... My desire, my heart says, I will run. I want to fly as far away as I can. But at the end of the psalm, he says, but I will trust in God. Jesus doesn't just simply meet us at our place of need. He lives in our place of need. He's already there. Because that is who he is. That is his very heart. These couple of verses challenge us because they tell us how we are to come. We are to come humble. We are to come with our burdens. This text also tells us how we help. So not only how we come, not only how we speak truth to ourselves over our feelings, but this, this verse commands us that this is how we help. This is the best way that we can help. By bringing those that we love who are struggling to this rest and to this person. This is who Christ is. This is what kind of Savior we can come to when we are hurting. This is who we are to be like when we are helping others who are hurting. It can be easy to be cold and harsh and say, buck up, trust God, 
It could always be worse. I don't find that in this text. That's not the way to work with people and to love people. This text is who we are to be like when we are helping others. This is what we are to be like when we are helping others who are hurting. We bring them here, but in our words and in our love and in our weeping with them, this is who we are to be like. You may go home tonight and you may have to speak this truth to your own soul. I understand. You may go home tonight and find a family member who's struggling. A little child who is scared of the dark or can't fall asleep or doesn't have their homework done. The homework they forgot about. Whatever some of the weariness and burdens that we mount on ourselves, you may go home and find that in your very own home. Use this. Jesus intended for this to be used through you to those that are hurting.